All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 443. Jason Lindgren is with me, and Howdy Mikowski returns for, I think, the fifth episode. Actually, I know the fifth episode. We're going to be talking about his new book. By the way, this is his fifth book, book one of a series that will have at least two. Uh, and the title of the book we're going to get into today is called Exit the Cave, Ending the Reincarnation Trap. Uh, there's a lot of big ideas on the table. And though we kind of have skirted it for a long time, ideas of Tartaria will come in. And the reason we've skirted it is because basically it's because of me, because I don't accept a lot of the so-called global ideas. And I know that's a, a word that's out of favor, but basically I'm saying worldwide ideas, I guess is a better way to say it. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And a warm and beautiful day it is. Well, this morning I woke up on the 23rd of uh, September, and the news announced that it was the equinox and that we are so far from the equator that we don't actually get equal day and night. And then in the same breath said equal day and night will occur in a couple days. So the work we did in 2017 is absolutely having an effect because they're admitting outright and they've changed what they call the equinox to the official equinox, which is not God's equinox. Anyhow, welcome, howdy. Hey, good to be back, guys. Yeah, when I started looking up, I didn't realize we'd done so many. I was thinking we did two. You were thinking three. We've actually done four episodes, and those episodes are 387, 289, 277, and 273. But Howdy, the best thing to do here is why don't you give us an overview of your fifth book, book one of your fifth book series on where we're going to be going here. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting. We're talking here today on the 23rd and, uh, you know, this will air in a few days, but uh, have you seen how September 24th is blown all over the internet? Like, uh, you know, the world's going to explode tomorrow. So it'll be interesting to watch how when this, uh, when this airs, probably nothing has happened. Well, the, the interesting thing is, is, as everybody knows, I have a friend who speaks many languages. German is one of them. He went back and looked at the clip where that soundbite was lifted from, and it was lifted out of context um, because Fortune reviewed the entire clip in German, and he equated what was said in that clip to uh, basically the Ukraine war ideas. Anyhow, that's a little off track for where we're going. Okay. Yeah. So I, I've spent the last like six months been quiet writing a writing this new book. It's uh, 15 chapters, and um, I'll give a quick overview, and then we can go into where we want to go from there. So the first chapter is, of course, uh, an introductory type chapter that discusses ideas of reincarnation, discusses the ideas of uh, matrix, uh, matrix simulation, the possibility that we are here to be harvested for food, loose energy, um, what kind of creator created this realm, what a memory wipe is. The second chapter is all about Plato's cave and more about what's missing from the allegory of Plato's cave, which is a lot, rather than what Plato's cave actually presents. Third chapter is some origin stories, specifically from the Cathars, the Gnostics. I have chair what Robert Monroe has, Castaneda. I have three uh, very quick chapters. One talks about standard near-death experiences because those need to be looked at a bit of an action plan for getting ready for death, uh, recapitulation. I have a, a novel chapter, a movie chapter, where I look at things like Dark City and Westworld and um, They Live and a number of movies. Uh, then we look into things like prayer, um, spiritual warfare, lucid dreaming, questioning what the soul is. And I end with two chapters on the Cathars, because the Cathars is a very important discussion on the topic of end, potentially 
ending a reincarnation cycle. What did they know? What didn't they know? And I end with a final chapter that discusses Castaneda's active side of infinity, the astral planes, uh, the will and testament, a whole bunch of stuff to kind of try to have an actual meat chapter at the end of, of the book. And that's that's a quick overview of what I did. And now it's the learning process of sharing it with other people. All right. You got my attention, man. So many things you just brought up. Reincarnation almost feels like we might be touching on the idea of children of a lesser God. That's a big topic for me. And it's not an easy topic. No. Uh, who made this place? Why are we here? What's going on? And some of it's a bit scary. But lastly, Carlos Castaneda, I can't tell you, it must have been 35, 40 years ago, the first time I read about Carlos Castaneda. And I remember not knowing what to make of it when I was young. And interestingly enough, I think he had ties to uh, some of the California universities. My father, of course, was a university professor. But where do you want to pick up? Well, we can pretty much go wherever you'd like to go. I mean, um, you know, obviously we can start that I don't know what's going to happen after we die, for sure. I don't know exactly who created this realm. All I'm dealing with sharing is the experience of my own 25 years, the experiences of my own death experiences, and all the research in these realms to try to provide what I hope is a more complete picture of where we are. And even though I, some of what a lot of people might think what I'm going to might present is very negative, but actually it's quite positive at the end of this realm, which is where well, the end of this discussion, which is how to regain your own power and your own authority. But you have to get through some pretty negative stuff first before you get there, before you can actually, you can't gain authority while you're still being tricked, deceived, and lied to. So I guess we can start there. We can start talking about the, the, the idea of reincarnation and, um, the reality behind it. I mean, you've never done a show on that to this point, right? Well, we have, we've touched on it, but I, here's the thing for this show. I already dig where you're going because you opened up everything you just said saying, I'm not sure what happens after we die. And anyone who says any different had better be one hell of a realized master <laughs> and one of the best meditators and clairvoyance around. Otherwise I'm with you. That's the problem. Let's get it on the table. I accept that reincarnation is real. I've gone back and forth on this many times in my life. The last time I did what I always do. I tried to simplify it down and then use the creation as the measuring stick. The problem is, is the answer is not clear. On the one hand, it's pretty clear that everything becomes something else. But on the other hand, there's the idea of who you are, your mind, your soul, your spirit, whatever you want to call the things that are intangible, what becomes of that? But for my part, I accept it. Go ahead, get on the record. Do you accept reincarnation or do you reject it? Yeah, I, I do now. I was, on, I was like you. I was on the fence. I waffled for a lot of years about it. And it's only been in the last few when I've happened to really dig into it and see that there's just too many experiences that are verified, mostly from young children, where they, they come up with, and some of them are incredible, where they're sharing information about a, a person who had lived that there's no way they can know. So it's it's moving me into the realm. Moved me into the realm. Yes, okay, it's probably quite true. And there seems to be a zeitgeist starting to happen now, where people are looking into areas that I looked into twenty years ago and kind of moved off a bit. And that is that this realm was not made by a loving creator. This realm was not made for uh, our learning, for our growth, for anything else. That it was made as a place where souls have been tricked to get in to come in here, and were kept here in a sort of energetic farm. And the reincarnation is actually not a cycle of growth, not a cycle of learning. It seems to be a cycle of 
continuous uh, movement of this soul into this almost like a, a whirling whirlpool, a vortex of energy that just keeps us moving, thinking we're moving and going places. And all we're really doing is generating the power to keep the system running. And, and that's the, the basic thesis that I've come towards. And that's what I wanted to present in the book of why do I think that? Well, this is going to get interesting quick. And so basically it is the children of a lesser God idea. So here's what's going to happen. As we get into this, a lot of people are just going to shut down. They can't possibly imagine. And I have always wondered that some of the biggest secrets that supposedly can't be told and they act like it's aliens or something else um, or all society would break down. I've always wondered if it was kind of the children of the lesser God idea. Now, I'll tell you flat out right now. Howdy. I know some people that are pretty realized masters and clairvoyance. um, And that idea is on the table. Um, And reincarnation is completely accepted by the individuals. But Rose hit me while we were talking because you said it was children. Um, I had an experience with my youngest nephew. The whole family had gone to the Queen Mary. For those who don't know, um, I think it's Long Beach, somewhere near LA, the Queen Mary ship is docked as a hotel. And we all went there. I think my nephew was not four yet. I think he was three and just grasping speech pretty well for the previous few months. We went in there and we got our rooms. My wife and I had a a room and a separate area of the ship than my sister and brother-in-law, their children. The youngest came to be with us and kept looking at all the images, all the old black and white images And I forget exactly how it played out, but at some point he told us he had been there before with his other mother. And we were like, what? And so his parents probably weren't as open to what I, you know, because it happened with us. And instantly I was like, what just happened? So we're going through the whole ship, looking at the old uh, images on the wall, but it's exactly what you said. There's, I think it was three, three and a half who basically claimed they had been on the Queen Mary before with their other mother. Yeah. Like I said, I, I ran into some that are just the weirdest story I ran into was of a young kid who was very clear what his what his previous name was, who his wife was, where he lived. And these parents finally, after four or five years, you know, kind of said, okay, we're going to go, we're going to find this person and, and just prove to you that you're wrong. So they drove to somewhere in, in Georgia or something. Uh, they'd called up the woman. They had the meeting. And right away, as soon as they sat down, it's all sort of things like, so do you still have my guitar? Oh, yeah, it's in the other room. It's in the case. Oh, bring it out. And they bring out the guitar. And the kids, I guess, you know, five years old, playing the guitar perfectly, never played a guitar before. And starts asking, oh, by the way, this book, do you still have that? And, no, I threw that one out. But I have this book. Oh, can I see that one again? And the parents were literally so blown away by this that, after they really did, the, the parents themselves agreed that this is the reincarnated dead husband of this other woman. And eventually, when the kid hit eighteen, they just let him go live with her in New York City. They just said, "We can't stop. We can't stop this anymore." And I can't remember the name of the book, but it's stories like that that have indicated to me, okay, this is going on. I, I have memories of, of what I'm pretty sure is my past life as a as a German officer in in the, in the Second World War, killed in the Battle of the Ardennes, but. The problem starts to indicate is, okay, let's start assuming reincarnation is a true thing. Because it used to be even in the Western religions, all the Western religions were had reincarnation as a, as a subject, as you know, and were, and were taken out as opposed to the Eastern ones. But when we look at where it sits now, it's usually presented as some sort of 
way of growth, way of learning, way of improving your soul to perfection and returning back to God or something. To be reincarnated. Yeah, being reincarnated for your benefit, that the reincarnation is somehow for the benefit of the reincarnating thing. That's the the standard story, right? Yep. The problem hits is when you start looking into those who still have their pre-birth memories and those who are presenting their some of their near-death experiences, and they talk always about the memory wipe. And the memory wipe is the most important part of this thing to discuss because you can't be in a place of learning. You can't be in a place of growth if you don't remember your other lives. If I just keep going on making the same mistakes over and over and over again, then I'm not learning anything. Uh, you know, if I go touch stinging nettle in it and it stings my hand, I know to go put gloves on so that it doesn't sting me the next time I pick it. If in the next life I come back and I don't even remember that stinging nettle stings, what have I learned? I've learned, you've actually learned nothing. And this, so the idea of the memory wipe to me is the most important element of this because it's very similar to Westworld. That's what happens to the robots in Westworld, right? The robots, after they get killed, whatever, however you kill a robot, they get sent back to the control center, they get cleaned up, they get patched up, and they get memory wiped. They need to be memory wiped because if they they remembered all the rapes and the killings and everything else that's happened to them, they'll break the hell out of there. So the memory wipe is just as important for the robots in Westworld as it is for us. If we were remembering all of the suffering, all of the pain through lifetime after lifetime after lifetime, we would have ended this a long, long, long time ago. So for me, once you start getting into this, the, 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 um, what to me now is fairly correct, this memory wipe that happens, right? The cup of forgetfulness, the traveling on the river of forgetfulness, all of these, all of the mythology has this idea of the something that's given to the soul to forget. It's indicating we're in a, obviously then we're in a different place, not one of school or learning like we try to be told. I I love that you're zeroing in. In a moment here, I'm going to get Jason's take on whether he accepts reincarnation. But here's the thing. Everybody knows that I go for the oldest stuff I can get, even stuff that hasn't necessarily been published. If I just would have had the presence of mind to always have kept all the things I had come across or got possession of in my life, I would have a, you know, one of the best libraries I can imagine, but I moved so many times. But here's the thing. In some of the old traditions, like let's take a common one. And by the way, people should know that in this country, when they talk about reincarnation, it's made to be silly. It's belittled. They make TV shows to make it look like hippy dippy. But in places like India, that is not the case. And accounts like Howdy just talked about, from what I gather, are a lot more common than you would think. But to get back to the point, Older traditions of spiritual would claim that as you're getting close to being able to be liberated, as they put it, in other words, not come back here, um, or enlightenment is sometimes that idea when you reach enlightenment, you're, you're liberated. One of the steps you have to go through is remembering all your past lives, not just some of them. There were even tests where I saw that they were claiming that this person or that person who was spiritually advanced could talk about 10 lives, but they couldn't get before it. And that wasn't good enough. So these ideas are big ideas. And I love that you zeroed in on the idea of, are we really learning? And part of that too is you can't remember, but at some point, for some reason, you learn that everybody is one and not to be crappy to living things in each other. That's another take on it. But Jason, I got to ask you, do you accept reincarnation? Yep. I have for a very long time for very similar reasons that you guys have already been describing. And 
I don't think that we're supposed to remember word for word details about the past lives, but I think in a spiritual sense that we do. And the reason why I say that and have thought this for so long is because different people act differently, sometimes at the same ages, sometimes radically so, kind of implying that there's something about them that they advanced in some way, their morals, their ethics, that kind of thing, even just their depth of emotion. There's something to it that might not be there to another individual who might be what you might call a younger soul. Well, there's a couple things here that made it difficult for me when I was looking at the kind of unpublished traditions about the Buddha. One of them was that he remembered all the way back to when he was a flower. (laughs) You know, he remembered back when he was like a bug or a frog. and, And I was like, it's hard for someone who grew up where I grew up to accept that. And part of the reason was, is because in the wheel of life, the Buddhist wheel of life, which is such a genius image. Uh, Everyone should go become familiar with the wheel of life, whether or not that's part of your spiritual tradition, just the idea that is encapsulated in that is an important thing to know. And in the very center of the wheel of life are the three poisons, which cause all suffering in this realm. But to get to the point in uh, the Buddhist accounts, even to this day, they'll tell you things like, well, if you, if you do this horrible thing, you'll be reborn as a worm or a frog. And I, I'm sorry, I don't accept it. When you reach human being condition, you know, I don't accept that you can all of a sudden become a frog. So I started to think, well, this is the fear tactic that I grew up with in my religion. If I did the wrong thing, I go burn in hell forever. And I took it both as scare tactics. But this is the problem, isn't it, Howdy? There's all this information from all these times. And some of it, for me, is a bridge too far. Yeah, that's that's something I've come across too in this research, of course, is that there were obviously times in the past when people were very clear as to they, they understood this. You know, they knew they knew these things. They knew who created this world specifically. They knew why it was created. They knew what was going on here, and they they probably knew the exit out. We can talk about Plato's cave next at some point. I know what what's what's so strange about that story, but it doesn't take long as we see to start changing the story, changing the changing the presentation in such a way that now an idea that's about Truth becomes an idea of control. And that brings us to the, the Gnostic idea of the Demiurge or the, the Cathar idea of Rex Mundi. That, and this is a hard one. This Reincarnation is a difficult one for a lot of people to accept just because of the, the upbringing and the, and the surrounding. But I think this one's even more difficult for people. And that is the idea that the foundational idea that a loving God created this place for our enjoyment, for our betterment, for, for to make all of our wishes come true, whatever. But when you look at what the Gnostics said, what the Cathars said, what Robert Monroe said in, in his interesting books, and more likely we're dealing with that there is a what the, what the uh, Cathars and Gnostics call a father, a true God, a, an absolute, right? Living in the Pleroma, in this place of, of totality. But through a, a long series of events that we don't have to go into the detail of, a false realm was created. Uh, through the through a demiurge that created, in a sense, an, an AI computerized simulation called HAL in the Gnostic t- terminology, and that thus everything in this material realm is actually part of the simulation, part of the demiurge, part actually of really designed to just keep powering it. It's like a giant computer that has built a system to keep powering it over and over again. 
Uh, granted, these these ideas of divine spark, both the Cathars and the Gnostics taught have their own stories of how what they call the divine spark of Sophia, the divine spark of the Father, got into not just humans but but all all beings in this realm, and that is that is why we have this extra power, this extra source, this extra this extra ability to to leave to exit if we do truly put all of our work together. But the, the deception is so big. And that's the other part that once you start realizing this realm is not set up to make me happy, it's actually set up as a suffering pit of hell, a suffering pit to to basically steal my energy. And it's it's layer upon layer upon layer of deception, not just in the material, but in the astral, in the etheric, in the whatever realm you can think of, it's all a series of deceptions. And once you begin uncovering the layers of deceptions we've all been under, or at least certainly I've been under, it's mind-blowing to see how did I even get any spiritual knowledge in the course of my life when I look at how many false delusional concepts are constantly projected at me 24 hours a day. Uh, you're, you're bringing up, I mean, you, you, you're going to the core of the issue here and you're getting down to that hard nugget that you can break your teeth on. This is so difficult. For one thing, we don't know history. Why is that? And so a logical mind might say, yeah, man, we are children of the lesser God. Something bad has happened here. And when I look around in my lifetime, what I see is suffering. I go look at Buddhism. What's their big problem? In the, in the wheel of life, the centering is the three poisons, and that creates all the suffering in this realm. So they're recognizing that there's suffering going on. And that's not exactly the right word, by the way. It gets translated in other ways, but I just mm -hmm. use it because people know what I mean. But what was the real history? Now, if we go to our Western religious texts, there was a Garden of Eden here. And when you go out, you look around, well, this place could be a Garden of Eden. It's too bad people mess it up all the time. You know, you, you come to conclusions like this, but you see the conundrum of if there is a loving God, then why are we always having such a difficult time? So my first question when I think about these things, and I have thought about them all my life, is was it always a difficult time? Who caused the difficult time? Did we cause the difficult time? Were there outside forces? And then the problem for me becomes alchemy. In every serious alchemist lab, they produce things that are beyond magical. In my own lifetime, I've been handed out chemical remedies that did things for me that are not supposed to be possible. I don't doubt the virtue of it, but they all had a little altar. Most of them or many of them were using the Christian spiritual path and imbuing spirit and soul and asking for guidance. And so there's the conundrum for me. Yeah, man, when I look around children of lesser God, man, it feels more and more like that every day, but who's doing it? Are we doing it? Is someone else doing it? And that's a question. But at the end of the day, when I break it down to what does nature show me, I know that every plant in this world is potentially a medicine, and I know that there are living men and women through spiritual means who made the most curative things you could ever imagine. And so these are the places where I end up where you are. It's just, I know what I'm kind of accept, but I want to know more. Yeah, and, there, and, there be, and you start leading into really strange places, really strange thought places. And that I have a whole chapter in my book just on prayer. Like I thought I understood prayer, but actually in the last, while I was writing this book, I, I revised everything I thought about prayer. And the first issue we have about prayer is that prayer is generally set up something outside of ourselves, where people are praying 
to something not me. It doesn't matter whether it's what they call God, angels, spirit guides, uh, plant helpers, whatever. It's something not me. And we don't really know what we're communicating with. And these are the things that do seem certain prayers get answered. There's no question. And like you say, certain what you would call miracles. I've seen them myself from Native Medicine Men happen. The challenge becomes, but we don't know who has really been prayed to, and we don't know what the what the toll might be, you might say. Is it a lost leader? That's what you're basically yeah, saying. Is like, it a lost oh, yeah, leader? I'll, 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 let you ha- I'll let you have this now. Yeah, you've asked for this. I'll let you have this now. But after you die, you're going to pay me back this, this, and this. Kind of like you know a, a loan agreement that you didn't know you were making. And I started realizing, well, why don't we just, why aren't we learning to pray to ourselves? Why aren't we learning the power that we actually have individually? And I took this story, it's, it's a little long here, sorry for, for jumping in so long, but so this took me, to, I took this idea to the, a medicine man that I know, Jerry, um, and I shared this idea of why aren't we praying to ourselves? And he t- shared a story with me. And the story is that Sometime 20 years ago, there was a big drought going through Arizona or New Mexico or something. Um, it lasted a month. They brought in some medicine men and none of them could get rain. So they, fi- they, they, were, they were praying for rain and they couldn't get it. So they finally brought a medicine man in from the north. He came in, he did his ceremony and it started raining immediately. And then it rained for like three straight days. And they finally asked him, how come your ceremony worked and prayers worked when the other guys didn't? And he said, oh, they were praying for rain. So when you pray for something, it means it's not here. But I was just praying rain. I sent that back. I talked as soon as Jerry told me that. I said, so so what he was doing was he first became rain. It was not medicine man praying to rain. It was rain praying to rain. Therefore, all that existed was rain. So, of course, rain would have to manifest. And it was like a, it was like it this explosion in my head. I, I go blueberry picking. I love it. Yeah, I go blueberry picking in, at at this time of the year over now. But then, and I always make an offering. I always make a prayer to the forest, you know, to to be thankful. And then I thought, well, wait a minute. Why don't I first become a blueberry? Why why should I do it human to blueberry? Why not give my prayer blueberry to blueberry? Once I did that for the first time, there were blueberries everywhere. I, I there, it was impossible for me to pick. In the course of a couple hours, there were so many. And I realized that's a, that's a secret of becoming the thing that you're praying to internally and not needing to go external for anything because then you're not getting lost in any possible weird games that are being played with that energy. All right. There's, I mean, you're just hitting on so many things. You know, I had a Native American adept I used to love to go to the Southwest, places like Chaco Canyon and Canyon de Chez. They just take my breath away when I try to imagine who, who built these things. What was life like back then? Of course, the history books are going to tell us, well, these poor fallen bastards were cannibals at one point, and history is going to do what it does. It's going to make up a bunch of stuff and lay it down as if it was fact. But what he told me was in those little round circles. Like if you look at Chaco Canyon, um, they would have a ceremony for rain and they would smoke. And he explained to me exactly what you just said. The smoke would become the rain cloud and go up. So they're doing a similar thing. They're not, they're creating the thing with the smoke that becomes a rain cloud. And, you know, that was years and years and years ago. When I pray now, I don't ask for stuff. The only thing I ask for is guidance and inspiration. That is it. Mm. And I realized that all the rest of it is on me. 
And it has to be because the creator, whatever that may be, provably, not arguably, gave me free will. I can go to my door. I can turn any direction I want. As a matter of fact, what's going on in our world now is seeking to try to remove the free will. But here comes another monkey wrench into this idea we're trying to get down to the bottom of. If consciousness is rising, what does that say about the whole children of a lesser God or or, or any of it? Because it's pretty clear. I don't really think it's arguable that like, like right now, when I go back and look at the things society was believing in, in the sixties, it blows my mind. What were we children without two brains to rub together? The Apollo stuff, just all these things. It is so fantastic and unbelievable as to blow my mind. And so I know that my mental abilities or my spiritual abilities and a lot of people I see around me, including my dog for that reason for that matter. I, I, I see bulldogs jumping on a skateboard and riding it exactly as a skateboard should be ridden. If someone did that in the seventies, that would be the most famous dog in the world. So what does that say for where we are? So for me, I guess I can't buy, and this is just where I'm at. And believe me, if I learn something tomorrow, that might go out the window. Someone just sent me images of a bizarre matrix in the sky and they claim they took the picture first. And it looks like a, a honeycomb beehive because everyone's starting to think, are we in a simulation? I don't accept it. And nature has taught me not to accept it, but that's not to say, you know, I might learn something next week or tomorrow. And then I go, oh my God, I've been wrong all this time. But th- these are the issues. What about consciousness, Rise Howdy? Consciousness has seemingly changed. We can say that. Uh, I'm not sure how much it's necessarily risen. Uh, because of things like the internet and because of ease of printing and et cetera, it's much easier for people who today are feeling that they have a message to share to share it. So we don't really know we don't really know how many had messages in the 50s and 60s that were could have been clear that of course, if they told them to their friends, they would have said, well, you're crazy. There's nowhere they could have gone to sort of have it verified that hey, you've really maybe seen something. you're really seeing into something. They probably just kept it to themselves. So we have that first issue that the technology that we're dealing with offers the opportunity for more things to be presented, both positive and negative uh, from what we can see. So it's hard to know if that's the case. I will say, and again, this is again, just as this is an opinion, right? It's always an opinion, but I get the sense that uh, within the matrix itself, we are at a point where a door is open. I think I talked about this on, a, on another uh, show, but I, I believe this even more now after writing this book. That a lot of what's going on is in response by the the, the powers that be, which are of course, ele- uh, you know, workers for the archons, workers for the demiurge, to keep this realm in a particular state, in a particular. You, you don't want to lose too many souls because right now the door is open and a lot of souls can go home. I, I think that's very true. A lot of souls can go home, and a lot of souls like us are feeling it. We're feeling like we don't understand it, but man, I'm close to I'm close to the truth. I'm close to knowing what's going on. I'm close to being done with this wheel of suffering, insane garbage. And the powers that be are producing an unbelievable energetic structure, not just fear, not just um, distraction, but an actual frequency, I think, that's designed to have as many people as possible miss the opening. 
And so, like you said before, this is all on us. It's all, it's an individual, it's a totally individual journey and every journey will be, compl- will be different. You know, your journey won't be like mine, won't be like someone else's, but our goals are similar and a lot of our steps will be similar. And I think, I think we're, we're at a point where we are so close to having like a Mayan mass exodus that this is what's done. And they know the powers that are running this place. No, we're going to lose a lot. A lot of the souls are going to be lost from the system, but what doesn't get lost and what we lock down fully in here, we're revamp, we're re, we're resetting the system. I think this is what the reset really is. That resets happen to me historically when the power, when the, the, the main computer, you might say, isn't getting enough power anymore. They're not drawing in enough uh, loose energy. And so they need to upgrade the system, which means upgrading the uh, the creatures in the system so that they can produce more energy. And this makes sense that right now, right, they're talking about combining the human and the robot, human and AI, which would make sense. If you could, if the human is the energy source, for example, and you could plug the energy source directly into the computer, then there's no loss between the energy going from the human outside to where the computer collects it. It's literally connected automatically. The energy loss would be negligible. And something tells me that's part of what's going on, that if we see what they're calling a reset in, in terms of energy, it all starts to make more sense. Well, to step back a few paragraphs, I would point out that the dog is unaffected by the internet that's now using the skateboard. And there are plenty of examples of animals conscious rising. For me, I accept that it's rising, but your argument was well laid. And I think it's just as cogent as any I'm going to lay down. But you stop there on creating energy. And I just had last night a long conversation with someone who's much more spiritually advanced than I am. At least that's the way I consider it. And I was expressing that what we see going on in the world is unsustainable from a logical standpoint because of the amount of energy it is required. And more so, I made the argument that the dark energy does not have the power to create. And that's why human beings are important, because Mm -hmm. we do. And so the dark energy needs to coerce and trick and get ways for the light bringers, which is us, the, the, the light energy, creative souls, that's us, to do their bidding. What I see going on around me now And based on my sun gazing, which I do almost nonstop during the warmer months, what I notice is the sun appears to me to be at a higher frequency. I began to question, well, why are they doing all these underground bases? If you knew some great calamity was going to come, maybe, but they've been making these underground bases forever. And then I thought of the Morlocks and the Eloy. You know, didn't that always strike you funny? Most of these real classic movies, there's an instant parallel to life somehow, but the Morlocks never fit. Who the hell are the Morlocks, all right? They're just the bad guys that happen to live underground. And I began to to consider if I am correct and the sun's frequency is increasing, then that is the guarantor from my point of view of life in this realm. It is also the guarantor of truth. It will come up tomorrow at the exact precise second that it needs to. So when I began to reason all this out, I can only come to one conclusion. I accept it wholeheartedly. What's going on now is unsustainable simply because the amount of energy that has to be put in to the control efforts far exceeds what's sustainable. It's a bit like saying, I've got this battery and I've got this cool machine that can take me five miles. But the problem is, is I have to put more energy than it would take me to walk five miles to put it into the battery to get me the machine to go five miles. Now you can do that. 
you can get a whole bunch of people like here, you 20 people. So each one of you is putting a little effort. But the point is, is that is an unsustainable situation. And that's where I accept we are now. But let's get Jason. What, what, what's your ideas, Jason? Where the hell are we? What, what do you think about these ideas? You know, I've kicked that around a lot in my head and I haven't been able to make up my mind. Sometimes I think that this is schoolhouse earth. Sometimes I think this place is a trap. Sometimes I wonder if there's some kind of mass simulation going on just because I've seen some very odd things, like, like a, a, almost like a universal breakdown. I can't make up my mind about things because I can see all aspects of it. I don't like to get so negative that I don't look at what is good. Like nature is beautiful. There is beauty in this world. There are wonderful things. On the other side of that is, of course, you have to fight for everything. Nothing is for free. No matter what, you have to fight to exist or you will die. So it's a very difficult thing to figure out. Think of the episodes we did on the cathedrals. From my point of view, maybe some of the noblest structures that have been built in the semi-modern era and the claims that, who, who was it, Jason? What, what was the one book again? Who was the guy? Falconelli. So Falconelli, oh, yeah. Make, yeah, Falconelli makes the claim that at the time, some of those, like I think Notre Dame is the one he's referring to, but I don't remember. He said at that time, people only had to work something like six weeks or something, a very short time out of the year to live a good, uh, you know, healthy, uh, abundant life. And what they did was they worked for a short amount and then they had all that free time and all this know-how with the crafts that they they had and they donated it into making this. What Falconelli is saying. So this creates... If this is correct, and I think we all agree we can't prove it is because we don't know history, but we do know the buildings are there. And I think we can logically say there's no way in hell people slaved out to build such beauty and, and accomplishment. People had to be invested in my point of view. They had to want to do what they were doing and be proud of it to get such majesty as the end result. That's the way I feel about it. But here's the thing. If Falconelli is right, then that points to, we did this to ourselves. But then if I really logically break it down, what I've been saying lately, Howdy, is I think the people they like to say are in charge, they're in a worse place than we are. I don't think they have free will for a second. I think they would give everything to be rescued from the situation they're in. I would think that they're, to not have a better term, hoard out. There you go. That's something like that. You know, energetically, spiritually, just the idea of Robert Johnson at the crossroad. And while I accept that my soul cannot be bought or sold, I think for some beings here, some bad, dark things have been going on. You know, it's, it's simple math too. If human beings need water, then why would someone defecate in the water? If human beings need air, then why would human beings spend as much time as they can putting terrible things in the air. But Howdy, that was a lot of ideas. Yeah, where where would you like to go with this? Let's zero in on Falconelli. So let's just assume for the sake of this conversation that Falconelli was telling the truth. And let's do that because the other secrets he told us about those buildings appear to have merit. So we'll just say for the sake of argument, we're going to temporarily accept Falconelli was true to us. So let's say 12 to 1400-ish, let's just say 1200, people were living fantastic lives and building some of the most beautiful things. So how do we get from there to here? Did we screw up this place or something else? Or is Falconelli lying? (laughs) I mean, I guess we have to ask. 
Well, that, that that actually can put us into two different elements. One we've got because that that is the same time frame that the Cathars were alive, right? And of course, the Cathars are a group that claim to have the secrets of understanding re, of the ending the reincarnation trap, claim to have the Holy Grail, lived in a place of southern France along with the Knights Templar and all sorts of other very strange elements, uh, and who were the first group that the Catholic Church or I should say the Church of Rome put a crusade on to eliminate from the planet. Extinguished. Those people were extinguished. For everyone listening, they were literally extinguished. Yes. And and the question you have to start asking is, well, why? Why? There, there are lots of groups that had various ideas that were contrary to the early Church of Rome, but this particular group needed to be, you know, like wiped out. And you have to start asking, well, why? What made a group of supposedly pacifists, uh, equal, those who were equal, those who were mainly vegetarian, those who were, what, what made such a group so, so scary to the, to the church in Rome? And it's this, I, I think part of it, I have, like I say, I have a whole chapter in the book in it. And I think it has to do with this idea that at least they believed that they had, they had a way out. And not only did they have a way out, they may have had the understanding of that the way out comes from the real teachings of Jesus, the real teachings of the Magdalene, which they claimed to, of course, have, that they claimed to have the original teachings. And I, I even suggest in my book that all of those events took place in southern France, didn't take place in the Middle East, which would make sense that why you would have to eliminate this group from that time frame, because they have the direct, the direct lineage to this knowledge. And that would link, because when you look at where, where are some of these great cathedrals, be they Notre Dame, Chartres, uh, the one in Cologne, the, uh, you know, th- those are all in this sort of area where you would get this combination of Cathar, Grail country, all linked together. So all of these things I don't think are random. The cathedrals, the cathedrals, right, if you want to call them that, the, 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 the stories of the Holy Grail, the Templars, the Cathars, the Troubadours, all of those things link together in some really unique soup that I think also under also brings a bring would bring about a total different understanding of history, a different understanding of our realm. And if I would say so to answer the second part of your question, probably what we saw is some type of that world was reset out. The world that was here before was reset out because it was maybe getting it wasn't it was uncontrollable. And it wasn't it wasn't creating enough. We can talk about Robert Monroe maybe in the second hour, um, but that wasn't creating enough energy. And they needed to remake a new system, the one we're in, that is a higher level of suffering, higher level of conflict, higher level of polarity, because that creates more of the negative energy that they want. So that would be that that would kind of be my proof that the things in control of this made a switch. It wasn't they weren't getting enough. And we still have remnants of this of this time, stories of this time. Thankfully, still some buildings and uh, and uh, documents of this time that tell us it was different, but it changed. Good proofs. I mean, all that violence people thinks it's ending, but the violence has actually gone manifold. It's all online now. Children are shooting each other in games a gazillion times a day. So the, that energy is absolutely created. If I could choose. Mm-hmm. Any one part of history, the Cathars would be high on the list to know what they knew, to know more about them. They were exterminated. And from the reports that I think are probably the most accurate, they chose death over doing anything they were told. And that is also a big tell. They they refused to do anything they were told to do, and they walked right into death. 
without hesitation. But people should know, we're going to have to lay it on the table, Howdy. This first came, I think it was the 80s. It was a long time ago when I came across a book called Holy Blood, Holy Grail. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a lot of good ideas in the book, but the problem is, is the fame that came with the book that surrounded every aspect of it. So there, there's a lot of bridges too far for me within there, but nonetheless, it's the first time that I can remember seeing someone doing what Downard was doing. Hey man, the geography matters. Look at these sight lines, all these things. And of course the cathedrals come into it. I'm just putting it out there because I know somebody in comments is going to ask what about Holy blood, Holy grail, but the Cathars, they had to, that even where they built was up like in a protected mountaintop, uh, just everything about them. They seem to have been important. And when the Vatican marshals its troops to kill you for good, I'm guessing there was a light side reason because the, 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 the Vatican is not that. The Vatican is dark, and that's why it's in charge of human energy, because they can't make it. They can only hijack it or steal it. Yeah, and certainly certainly there, there's, there's so much to go into, into the, that story uh, of what, what might really be there, what might really be in that information that they, that they had. Of course, we have so little information directly on the Cathars. That's one of the problems that we have. Most of it was burned, destroyed. So we have very little directly from them. And what we do have, when I when I put it on, I, I share this in the book, I say, okay, here's what supposedly they were supposed to do to end the reincarnation cycle, to leave this realm, which was to have a, a ceremony called, called the consolamatum. Just before they die, these uh, these pair of I guess you would call them they're like priests but they're not really priests they're they're, they're known as perfecte and it's interesting that there had to be a male and a female though there was a male and a female aspect to everything there was complete equality in what they were doing but they according to the belief structure of what we've gotten now they read most of it was reading specific texts some of which is in the New Testament, some of which is uh, what you would call Gnostic Gospels that you would find in the Nag Hammadi texts. And then they did a laying of hands, and you were supposedly now, we call it, let's say, free of karmic sin, and you were ready to, to leave. And when I looked at that, I said, that's, that's not it. There's just, there's no way. If this is what they did, nobody's reincarnating. Or I mean, everybody's reincarnating. They're not getting out of here. And it was, it's been so weird that when you, how many books were written in the 70s and the 80s about supposedly people who had been Cathars, right? There was this one about Bath, England, how there was like a hundred Cathars or something. It all reincarnated back and they're all living together. It's like, but your entire presentation is exiting this realm. So if you didn't, if they're not exiting the realm, then what's the problem? Did they have the right method, but it wasn't used very often by people? Did they have the wrong method and it was used incorrectly? Or did they have the right method and they kept it really quiet? Some got out, but at a certain point of time, that part was lost and a different a different system came in that nobody knew was actually not working properly. I mean, all of these questions start to come up when you actually dig into what are they supposed to have done? And I've tried my best to take what's there and try to say, my guess is if they were if they had a, a real a practice that worked, they must have included this and this and this. They must have had these things that were preparing them for the for the after death state, the way we're we're learning from near death experiences, mostly the, the non-standard ones, but learning what's going to happen, what are the tricks that are going to be played on us, what are the deceptions that are going to be played on us, and we know how to circumnavigate them. We know we know what we do, how we stay in our own power so we don't get tricked by 
the massive deceptions that these beings are going to play on us and once once we die in a very confused state if that was being presented somehow but even then this consolidatum is not supposed to happen until like potentially 10 days before you die that's a really tight timeline i think to get somebody ready for the complete package of moving on from this world so like everything how much did any group in the past really know compared to what we think we know it's hard to know right hard hard to fully grasp what was there and what wasn't there? Yeah, I don't even think we have the wherewithal. Um, I've considered that the people called the perfect ones or the perfecti, I considered them more along the old Indian lines where a master could actually guide you. In Buddhist tradition, they talk about if you can realize the clear light, you're liberated. They talk about people who could actually guide you to prepare you and then guide you. They had these other things where they taught uh, ejection of consciousness. So when you got to the clear light, they would say things like, for some people, the clear light goes by so quickly because they're not ready. And for others, it lasts for a, a good, long, decent window. And that's how I looked at the perfecti. But to get back to your earlier idea, that's what intrigued me about the Cathars. And I feel like we know almost nothing about them. I feel like the things we do have have been butchered up and you know messed with, as most of our history has. But the men and the women, nature shows us, you want more living things, what do you need? Men and women. And the Cathars were there. The men and women were equal. They were equally respected. They were equally a part of things. They played the role within their spiritual tradition, apparently, that is played in nature, that nature tells us is true. But part of the problem here is then we have jokers like Dan Brown, right? So Dan Brown reaches in back into all the holy blood, holy grail, all the Cathar myth, and he makes his uh, the Da Vinci Code you know, to completely make a mockery, to make it one of the most popular things in the world and to completely muddy the water, make a complete mockery out of probably whatever it was. But I don't know about you, Howdy. When I see a number one bestseller, then I know the root of what's being messed with had value. Yeah, there's, the, like I say, I, I've done this a lot of work on on Southern France and the mystery of Rennes le Chateau, which this kind of links to. And certainly the Holy Blood, Holy Grail in itself is a giant misdirection already. All of the three writers that put that together have got major problems in their past, major things that don't make sense. Even Henry Lincoln, the, the supposed king of this whole yeah. thing who started with the, the document, that, that's not his real name, right? His real name is Henry Soskin. And he changed his name supposedly just after he came across um, uh, Gerard de Sade's book on Rennes-le-Chateau, in 1969, he claims, but in 1968, he had been a part of a movie that was basically presenting all sorts of Rennes-le-Chateau themes, all sorts of all sorts of Cathar and Templar knowledge. So how does he put all this in a movie that he's the writer of, but then doesn't find out about the story till a year later? Perfect. He's right at the point where he's just starting to get into the geometry. He was going to write a book more about the geometry of, of the landscape. And that's when he bumped into, uh, what were their names? Baguette and, uh, Lee, right? I think that's their names. Baguette and I can't remember the two, the other two writers, but all of a sudden 
they seem, he seemed to now move from the geometry side, which he wrote about years later, and moved into the Jesus bloodline theory, which to me instantly seemed like a giant misdirection already. So you had the first set of misdirections happen. And then just as the research from that started to go for over 15 or 20 years, and a whole new understanding was starting to, to bubble up in around 2000, 2001, right. 2002, here comes the Da Vinci Code, which again, tries to take it and spin it off in another angle. And the priority, and again, howdy. Yeah, we see so much misdirection around this because it's what's there is so important. The Priory, I thought you were going to touch on it, you know, that that magical document and the Sinclair family and yeah. the, the other Rosalind Chapel, all of that was later shown, which is what I, when I first read it, I had problems with the basis on that one document in some magical library, but that was also later shown to be a put up. Yeah. My, my main point is it's almost like they took the ideas like someone like James Shelby Downer, and then they pissed on them. They just mixed it up. They just ruined the soup as much as they could. So I'm glad you said all that. And by the way, each of those authors were shown to be complicit in certain ways, were they not? But here we are at the top of hour one. How do you tell people where they can find you and your book? Yeah, right now the book is at this point, it's only available as a PDF ebook right now. Uh, it will come out as a print book and an audio book uh, later in October. But if you want the early version of it, that's available now. That's either at my website, egyptian-wisdomrevealed.com. Uh, it'll be in the description, I guess. And uh, you can just click on uh, Exit the Cave. It's a minimum $5 donation, and you can get that to your inbox. You can see me over at Howdy McCoskey Talks on uh, YouTube for now. Same thing. Get to me that way. And uh, yeah, I'm in the process of getting the print book out, I hope in about a couple of weeks. So that's ready. And then uh, everybody's been asking for an audio book. So they take a bit longer and that'll be uh, like maybe early November. So uh, you're more than welcome to check it out. And again, I'm just sharing ideas. I'm just sharing presentations, just like really good people out there like Wayne Bush at trickbythelight.com. Great site. Forever Conscious Research, if you happen to go over to YouTube, great site as well for digging into these materials. And I'm sharing all this other stuff because it's a journey we all, I think, have to take if we're being honest with ourselves. If we really want to get answers, we have to look into the areas that kind of are scary to us. And we have to use what's there and share what we have, go in our own way, see what we come out with, and hopefully come up with something that's useful that maybe ends our journey forever in this in this uh, realm of craziness. All right. So let's make sure that when this goes live, 443, you get your links into the top of comments. We'll let you know when that's going to happen. Um, Howdy, I always appreciate you take on these topics. And, you know, you could logically make the argument, how in the hell do we live our lives without primarily living, saying, what happens when I die? Can I change what happens when I die? Do I want to? Is that the end? Is there more? Because there were plenty of cultures who apparently based the lion's share of their life on these ideas. The problem for us is nobody knows for sure. And if they do, they're not talking. And maybe some of the very most adept among us, um, but those people don't seem to be talking. It's almost like they you don't get to know till you get to a level that matters. But people who think they know something, you're just choosing to believe in things. If you want to be honest, I did it for more than half my life. No, the Bible told me, I I know I'm going to heaven. You're just believing in things. The creator gave us all free will. And with that free will comes responsibility. And if the correct assumption is that darkness has no creation facility, 
then that means we are the creators and we have been hijacked. And no matter how it got here, then we are complicit in the hell we're complaining about currently. And then there's the problem of, uh, was it always bad? And I think there's evidence to show that it wasn't, but these are all the major questions. There's the end of hour one of episode 443 with Jason Lindgren and Howdy Mikowski. The second full hour for members is at crow777radio.com, C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. And I hope to see you there. And I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. Cheers.